so during the announcements, I failed to mention something that I wanted to mention, and that is Greg and Kim Watson are in the house. Visiting us from the far southern regions of California. Uh, so since it is Advent, we're going to light our first Advent candle. We light our first Advent candle trusting that Christ is alive on earth and that the Spirit of Christ lives among us. Living Christ, give us faith to trust you. We trust you. We love you. We praise you. Amen. Maybe. Oh, man. Let's try that again. Whew. Come on. All right. Hey, guess what book of the Bible we're in? Philippians. All right. I want to invite you to turn to the book of Philippians. And as you're turning there, uh, I want to do a little survey. So, you know, when we talk about the differences between people, uh, we talk about personality, different personalities uh, and different ways of being. One of the things we talk about sometimes when we talk about people is uh, that they're, they're more a head person or they're more a heart person. Uh, so we have these sayings like, uh, you know, that person is always in their head. They're always thinking. Or that person, they're all heart. They're all heart. So uh, if you had to self-assess, I'm wondering, how many of you would say you're, you're more of a head person? Okay. How many would say you're more of a heart person? Okay. So we have... We have Let's do that again. How, raise a high. Head people. Okay. Okay, heart people. Okay, that looks more even now. All right. Looked a little uneven. Um, so, I'm wearing this shirt today, which isn't ironed, uh, because um, two buttons fell off of it, one in the middle and one on the sleeve, and uh, I only found one of the buttons. And so I asked Jenna if she would put the one back on in the middle, because I need that more than the one on the sleeve, uh, which she did for me. And she then laid it on our bed with this really kind note. Uh, Dear Matt, here's your shirt. So glad I could put this button back on your shirt for you. Thanks for always wearing your heart on your sleeve. And I was like, huh, OK. Uh, until the next time I wore it. And I realized, since I didn't have two buttons, she did put a button on my sleeve. <laughs> a heart button on my sleeve. Uh, so apparently my wife thinks I'm more a heart person, but then other times she'll say, tell me what you're thinking. You're always thinking. You're, you're just in your head. Tell me what you're thinking. And I'm like, don't, don't I do enough talking on Sunday mornings to last the whole week? Uh, to which all of you probably say yes. Uh, and uh, none of you even, well, sometimes you respond. I like it when you respond when I talk on Sunday morning, so feel free. Uh, but that's going to get into a little bit of what we do. So some, we categorize each other, and one way we do that is head people or heart people. So let's look at Philippians 
chapter 1. And uh, I'm going to start in verse 3 to give us a little context. So Paul is writing to the small group of Jesus followers in Philippi, which is a Roman colony. And uh, it's around 62 CE, 62 AD. And he is writing this letter from prison. Uh, most scholars believe he's in prison in Rome. He might be in Ephesus. It seems likely that he's in prison in Rome. And he's writing this letter to this small group of Jesus followers. And he says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on until completion, until the day of Christ Jesus. So we talked about those verses last week. Now, as we read verses 7 through 11, I want you to pay attention to the words Paul uses. And I want you to discern, is that word more a head word or more a heart word? Okay? It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Okay, so let's do a little voting. Heart. Head. So, verse 7, it is right. Let's use the word right. Head or heart? I'm hearing head. Okay. For me to feel, feel, heart. All right. This way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. Heart, head, or heart? Okay. Let's go with heart. Since I have you in my heart, and whether I'm in chains or defending. Defending? Head or heart? Head. Head? Defending and confirming. Confirming? Head or heart? Head? All right. The gospel. All of you share in God's grace with me. How about grace? Head or heart? Heart. You guys are pretty, you're all kind of in agreement here right now. I didn't expect this, actually, to tell you the truth. All right, uh, there's a couple words coming up where you might disagree on. God can testify, testify, head or heart? Ooh, I heard one. Oh, you're just being contrary now, Stan. <laughs> All right. Testify how I long, heart, for all of you with the affection, heart, 
of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer, that your love... Okay. ...may abound more and more in knowledge... And depth of insight. Insight. How many head? Okay, how many heart? Ooh. Okay. We're going middle of the road here. So that you may be able to discern. Discern. Head or heart? Okay, I'm hearing both. How many head? Okay, how many heart? Okay, head probably went a little closer to head, but we're... Uh, what is best and may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. Okay, let's stop there. So, we have a number of words that seemed like the majority of you said heart, majority of you said head, and then a couple that were in between. Now... How many of you have a different version of the Bible than the NIV? Okay, uh, so Greg, it is verse 7, it is right for me to feel this way. Does your Bible have a different word than feel? Think. think. Oh, interesting. Interesting. Think. Head or heart? Head. Yeah. Okay, Paul is doing something really interesting here. Can I have the next slide? The word he is using here that the NIV translates feel and that some other translations translate think is the word phronio, and it means to think feel. We lack an appropriate English word that combines the activity of heart and head. It refers to an attitude or mindset or way of being. It's the same word that Paul will use in chapter 2. May you have the same attitude, the same phronio as that of Christ Jesus. We, we don't have a good word like this in the English, but Paul is doing something amazing here. He is using a word that combines to think and to feel. He's using a word that combines the head and the heart because Paul understands something about the way we were created. And you, you may be more of a head person or you may be more of a heart person. But you should never say, I'm a head person, so I just don't use my heart. Or I'm, I'm all heart, so I don't really use my head. Because we were created to be holistic. Head and heart connected. And when we disconnect our head from our heart, we're disconnecting a way that God created us to be in the world holistic beings living from our head and our heart, embodied people, body, soul, and mind, holistically combining head and heart. They can't be separated. And when we separate them, or when we categorize people as head or heart only, you, you might lean toward one more than the other, and that's, that's fine and beautiful, but don't cut the other one off because we are created to be holistic people. So, so Paul says, uh, it is right for me to think, feel this way about you. 
uh, Paul is tapping into the beauty of the connectivity between head and heart. They shouldn't be separated. And so he says, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I am in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. Now, one thing that's really striking to me about this passage is that numerous times Paul says, all of you. Now, I, I imagine that the people in Philippi are regular people like us and regular people like the people we encounter all the time. And I imagine that for Paul, there were probably some people in Philippi who uh, he maybe had a difficult time with. But he is able to say, it is right for me to feel this way about all of you. How is he able to do that? He says, God can testify how I long for all of you, verse 8, with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, the word affection there literally translates the bowels. He says, I, I, I have this affection, uh, the bowels of Christ Jesus. In the Hebrew mindset, this is, this is the seat of emotion. Uh, and Paul is able to say, I long for all of you with the very bowels of Christ. I wonder what it would look like for us if we were able to say that we have this kind of affection for everyone. But Paul's able to say this. How is Paul able to say this? How could we say this about that person that maybe you don't particularly like that well, or that person that's really annoying to you, or that person who you feel like just is a really difficult person? How are you able to say this? Paul is able to say it because it, it's not out of his own strength. He says, I long for all of you out of the affections of Christ Jesus. For Paul, it's a recognition that it is Christ in him that enables him to have this kind of affection, this kind of longing, this kind of love, this kind of, this way of thinking and feeling about all of them. It's because it's rooted and grounded in the reality that Christ lives in him. And it's through the affections of Christ Jesus that he's able to think this way and feel this way about all of them. This is Paul's heart for this community. And I believe it is God's heart for our community as well, that we would think and feel well about each other. And that we would think and feel well about those in our circles of influence, whether at school or at work or in different social settings, that we would tap into the affections of Christ Jesus within us to be able to love well 
to be able to think and feel well of those around us, even the most difficult ones. This is the posture that Paul has as he writes this letter from prison to this small group of Jesus followers in Philippi. Let's move to verse 12. Paul says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. So a lot of people in Philippi, I'm sure, were very concerned about Paul. They love Paul. He's the one who came and shared with them the Jesus message, uh, this, this better way than worshiping Caesar as Lord. He showed them the way of Jesus as Lord. And now he's in prison. And so for many of them, they have to be wondering, why has this happened? Uh, did Paul do something wrong that God would allow him to go to prison? Uh, why is Paul in prison? And, and is our fate tied to the fate of Paul as well? But Paul has a completely different outlook on it. Paul has this, this way of seeing things where he recognizes God's presence everywhere, even in prison. And so for Paul, this, this has not become a setback. This has become an opportunity. Now, put yourself in Paul's shoes for a moment. Paul, he, he thrives on telling the Jesus story. He thrives on, on going from town to town and city to city, sharing with others the love of Jesus, sharing with others this grace and peace that Jesus came to offer all of us. And now he's in prison. How, how can he share this? How can he go around and share this Jesus story with others when he is now in prison? It would be like this. Next slide. Uh, a piano player with his hands tied behind his back. Uh, imagine if you, like deep in your bones, what I'm created to do is play piano, but your hands were always tied behind your back. You have to figure out a new way to play the piano. And for Paul, it's simply, he recognizes reality for what it is. He recognizes, I, I can't change reality, but I can change the way I respond to reality. And so for Paul, his reality is he's in prison. So what does he do? He writes letters. And he tells the Jesus story to the guards who are guarding him. And he helps them see a different kind of empire. We don't know how they responded. We don't know how they reacted to this message from Paul. But Paul is able to share with them, you know, you, you all, you rely on the empire for your paycheck. You rely on the empire to maintain your standard of living. You, you palace guards, you, you live in the wealthiest nation in the world. You live in the global military superpower of the day. And, and, and your way of viewing reality is by winning. 
You go into country after country after country proclaiming peace, but it's always by the sword. You proclaim peace through violence. And the way you spread your message of peace is always by violence. If anyone stands in your way, you kill them. And there was this Jewish rabbi who you killed, who you nailed to a Roman execution stake. And in your mind, in your worldview, in your way of viewing reality, that is losing. Me sitting here in prison, that is losing. But I'm here to tell you, this Jewish rabbi who I followed, he, he taught us that if you want to save your life, you must give it up. You must give it away. That the way to actually truly winning is by losing. The way to actually saving your life is by giving it away. And it's this Jewish rabbi who conquered death and rose again and pro proclaimed the victory of the cross and the resurrection. Uh, Paul turns the whole thing upside down for them and helps them see that their view of reality and what they think is success and what they think is winning, that there is a whole different way of living that is upside down from that, that the way to truly win is to lose, the way to truly be first is to be last, the way to truly be the greatest is to be the least, to be like Jesus, who gave up all the glory of heaven and became a servant right here among us, chose to be the least, chose to be last, chose to be servant of all, and by so doing, secured the victory of the cross and the salvation that we get to inherit because of who Jesus is and what he has done on our behalf. So for Paul, he, he sees his circumstances not as a setback, but as an opportunity. And so I wonder for you today, what situation in your life, what, what circumstance in your life feels like a setback? What situation in your life or relationship in your life feels, feels uh, tense or torn or broken? Uh, where in your life are you feeling like life has just come up against a brick wall? And what might it look like to view reality differently? and to recognize God's presence right there in the midst of it. Paul recognizes God's presence right in the midst of prison. And he just simply sees it as an opportunity to continue to share the Jesus message with these palace guards. And not only that, but, but Paul's boldness and Paul's fearlessness ha has served to embolden others who are also sharing this message. He says, because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. They all have come to recognize that there's a better way of living than the way of the empire. 
There is a better way of living than the way Rome has taught them to live. There is a better Lord to follow than Caesar. And Jesus is his name. They have chosen this difficult path of the cross and resurrection. This ongoing journey of dying and rising. And they have proclaimed, Caesar is not Lord. Jesus is Lord. And we choose a better way to live than the way of the Roman Empire. We choose to live the way of the kingdom of Jesus Christ, which brings light and life and healing and hope and a new day in the midst of our circumstances that may look dark, where we may look defeated, where we may look torn down. There is an opportunity to view the world differently through the lens of Jesus with the affections of Christ Jesus, to live and view the world holistically, head and heart, in Christ Jesus. So I want to invite you to engage in a little practice uh, before we move into communion. And if the musicians want to come forward while we do this, please feel free to come forward. Um, I want to invite you to close your eyes if you're comfortable closing your eyes. And uh, just take a deep breath. And ask God to fill you in every way with his spirit. And I want to invite you to ask God to help you recognize the connection between your head and heart. If you tend to be more a head person, ask God to really highlight your heart for you this morning. If you tend to be more a heart person, ask God to really highlight your head, to recognize that you have the very mind of Christ, to recognize that you have the very presence of Christ in your heart. Invite God to speak to your whole being, attuned to God's presence through you, God's very spirit flowing through you. And then I want to invite you to bring to mind a situation you find yourself in. Uh, a situation you'd rather not be in. Something at home, or at school, or at work. Maybe a financial reality you're facing, or a relationship of some sort that feels broken. Or a person you're having a hard time loving. Just identify one thing, and then in the posture of your body, just simply hold your hands open on your lap. And hold your hands open on your lap as a sign of your heart being opened and your mind being opened to what God might be doing in that situation. And simply ask God to make himself known to you in your circumstance.
How might God be inviting you to live in the midst of this situation? In a moment as we come forward for communion, I invite you to continue to hold that situation open before God. As we remember the circumstances Jesus found himself in as he went to the cross. Wrongly accused, beaten, nailed to a cross. Jesus showed us how to suffer. He showed us how to forgive in the midst of suffering. Jesus showed us how to die. Jesus showed us how to view reality with an eye to the eternal hope of life with him, both now and forevermore. God, we're grateful. We're grateful for Jesus, that he went before us and, and showed us that it's possible to live a life of love, of gratitude, of hope. We thank you for the work of the cross and the power of the resurrection. God, in our situations this morning, that we'd rather not be in. I pray you'd empower us by your spirit to see your presence there. That you would speak to us in those situations and show us the way forward and how you're calling us to live in the midst of them. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. <laughs>